It is good to be with you. Um, missed you a lot. Been away for several weeks. Um, I was uh, here last week, but on the screen, you, you, you may have noticed it wasn't me, um, but you may not have, which is fine. <laughs> um, but uh, it is so good to be with you. If you're new here, uh, I'm Joel, and uh, we have teaching from the Bible uh, here every Sunday. We're in the book of Matthew at the moment. Um, we've spent a lot of time in it over the last year or so, and we are digging back into it as of last week, where we started a series called Paradox. The book of Matthew, like many books of the Bible, labors the fact that Jesus' teaching turns so many assumed ideas on their heads, and even confusing us and, and uh, causing us to, to be puzzled. And it's, it's a helpful thing that it does this because it forces us to look more carefully and pay more close attention. If we didn't do that, we might never know really who Jesus is and what he's really come to do. Um, it's, it's dangerous to get only a superficial grasp of Jesus and move on in your life, assuming you, you, you know how to bracket, categorize, box Jesus. That's a very dangerous thing to do. Uh, the more confused you are by Jesus, <laughs> perhaps the better, at least in the sense that the more you're likely to dig deeper and work harder to, to grasp. In the end, in reality, he's kind and so he, he helps us understand. He promised, he said, seek and you shall find. And so for people who are gathered here today saying, I really want to know him, I promise you that he, he's not far from you. And we're going to look into the Bible to, to, to meet with him, nothing less than that, to actually meet with him in the pages of Scripture. So we're going to go to uh, Matthew chapter 11, and the first 19 verses tell a story about uh, Jesus' close relative, John the Baptist, who actually at this time was kind of more famous. Uh, he was like the Elvis to Jesus' Beatles. He was like the kind of, he came first and he was kind of the bigger thing at first. And, uh, and it, was, it was a remarkable thing that John got to the point he got to in this story, which we'll see as it comes up on the screen. So perhaps we could listen to the, the, uh, the video as it uh, reads the scripture to us. Matthew chapter 11. When Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. 
What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates, We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came, neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The son of man came, eating and drinking. And they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet, wisdom is justified by her deeds. Let's just pray briefly. Father, we are grateful for your, your kindness in speaking to us. And we pray now that you would speak, especially as we look at these Uh, these words, we pray that you would speak to our very hearts by the Holy Spirit. Show us more fully the goodness, the greatness of your son, Jesus, and cause our hearts to be turned towards him uh, more fully. And uh, Lord, we pray for fruit to follow, for good things to follow in our lives, Lord, as a result. I pray that for each one of us here, each one of us. Just before we open our eyes and just pray just in your own heart Lord please speak to me now in Jesus name maybe you've not prayed before nevertheless just say God if you're there please speak to me in Jesus name Amen okay so we have really three sections to this story uh, here three parts to it and we'll do our best to to cover them in the time we've got we've got Jesus being approached um, by disciples of John and really in, in the opening chunk, it's, it's John's take on Jesus. John's take on Jesus. John's concerns, questions, perplexity about Jesus. And then we get into a section where uh, Jesus talks about John. So after we've got uh, John's take on Jesus, we've got Jesus' take on John. And then finally, we've got Jesus' take on what he calls this generation, that the people that he's been sent to, the people of Israel uh, of his time. And Really, the way he talks about the people of his time would still greatly apply to any people of any time. It's, it's his take on humanity uh, in general. So, so there's, there's three sections here, and we'll just do our best to get through these three. 
and see how they apply to our lives. First of all, John's take on Jesus. That's what we're seeing in the, the opening section where he's, he sent these disciples. He has to send them. He can't come himself because he's in jail. He's in a dungeon. And that's, uh, that's a serious business. In, in first century Judea, if you're being held in Herod's dungeon, it would have been uh, pretty appalling conditions. And the only way that you could have any uh, external uh, relationship would be through messengers that might come and go, perhaps bringing you food. You didn't get food provided for you in jail. You were just left there to rot. If you ate, it was because friends would come. And these friends would be looking after him. And then he sends them, go and, go and talk to Jesus. Go and ask him for me uh, this key question. And the question is, are you the one for whom we should be waiting or should we be waiting for another? John has reached a point of uh, genuine doubt about Jesus, genuine confusion and uncertainty about who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing. You can immediately relate to him, <laughs> all of us can, because it's part of our human experience is to question things and sometimes to question things that we hold very dearly, to question things that are at the core of our lives. Everything gets questioned, doesn't it? And, and when it, it's the, the things that we've built our lives around that get questioned, it can be very unsettling and cause us a lot of struggle, a lot of inner turmoil. We perhaps don't even like to question the things that are central uh, to our lives. John's been giving his life wholeheartedly to Jesus' mission. John saw himself as the, the pace setter for Jesus, the forerunner, the one who would get things ready for him, like in, in middle distance running. Um, when I remember when I was a kid growing up thinking, why, why do those people run the race and then come out halfway through? And my dad used to say, oh, they're, they're called the pace setters. They start the race, but they don't finish it. They're deliberately there to set the, the tempo of the running so as to get the best out of the, 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 the really strong athletes who could win a record if they run at the right pace today. And John was a little bit like that. He was setting uh, the pace for Jesus to come in and achieve what he was called to achieve in Israel. And he'd done it wholeheartedly. He lived a, an, a, what's called an ascetic life. He lived out in the wilderness eating basically beehives and, uh, and really just dressed in, a, in extremely kind of simplistic, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't winning any uh, Paris awards for uh, his dress sense. He, he was, he was uh, an incredibly uh, devoted, sacrificial, isolated and lonely figure, but completely wrapped up in his mission to prepare the ground for his master. Jesus, who was to come, and he was so devoted to him. Now he was in jail for his trouble. Now where had it landed him in a dungeon under Herod, this kind of phony puppet king, hedonistic, cheap, superficial man. I mean, everything. I, I, you could say I nearly named certain celebrities just then, but I just held back. Uh, but you can kind of uh, imagine the kind of people that Herod might be compared to, and and. And John has poured his life out. And here he is in jail, thinking, what, what am I doing here? I'm sure, I'm sure he had moments where those questions came to mind. What, 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 am, I, am I meant to be here? And he hears that Jesus is making a splash. The news is reaching him. Stuff's going on. That's how the story opened up. The news is spreading. 
And he's thinking, well, if the news is spreading, that's, that's, that's good. But what, what is it he's actually doing? Why, why, why is it not fitting in with the, the script? We, we, surely we're on the same mission. You know, maybe you've rehearsed a show before and, and the person you've rehearsed it with hasn't actually kept, they start ad-libbing in the middle of the, in the, middle of the performance and you don't appreciate it. I don't want you ad-libbing. I need you to stick to the script. Why are you ad-libbing, Jesus? What are you doing? And that's important to, to face, isn't it, when you have points in life where Jesus doesn't really make sense. You need to ask questions. You mustn't bury them. I think sometimes in our journey, we, we think that the worst thing you can possibly do is ask a question. That's terrible. If you ask a question about Jesus, the world will come to an end. You know, you'll, you'll burst the balloon. It will all go terribly wrong. You'll ruin the atmosphere, make everything very awkward if you ask a question. But John, right here, this, this, I would have to say, one of the most convinced, brave, courageous, dogmatic preachers that history has ever known, he gets to a point where he's full of questions. Isn't that helpful? If you've ever thought, I, I, I'm such a weak Christian because I've got so many questions, well, join John the Baptist. You've got questions, it's not wrong. It's not wrong. It's wrong to, to, to allow them to hide you from Jesus, to, to sort of bury them, and to perhaps not really deal with them, but to deal with them only superficially and never really bring them to him. John brings them to him. It's one of the reasons we, we, we think, for example, Alpha is so good. Some of you just started doing Alpha this last week. Well done. If you've never done Alpha before, I encourage you to. Because you need environments where you can ask questions easily. I appreciate some context, a little bit tricky, just stick your hand up right now. Um, you, Alpha is a brilliant environment to do that because it's expected of you. We're expected to ask questions and we need that sort of thing. We need that in conversation. We need, we need to be next to each other. Sundays are important, but you also need alongside people that we can talk and question and, and try and press this and study it together and get some other books. How, does, who, how do we understand this, this passage here and these bits and pieces? Questioning is good. But don't forget that questioning can be, in some times of our lives, almost academic. It can be sort of questions about things that occur to us that don't fit intellectually. That's, that's important. That's not a small thing. But then there are the kind of questions that go a little deeper, perhaps, in the sense that they're so personal. John isn't asking, Jesus, I just noticed that the, the, the Old Testament prophets predict such and such, and you're doing this and that. Um, I'm not sure how to understand this discrepancy. Uh, he's not just arguing with Jesus in that way. He's personally close to being offended. We'll come back to that. He's... he's Tempted to take offense because of the personal impact on him. He's in prison. So his, his expectations, it seems, have not been met. He, he had grown up with the promises of books like Isaiah. That Isaiah, the great prophet in, in Judah, hundreds of years before, predicting this glorious kingdom that would come, this restoring of things to their proper place, and this king, this anointed conqueror that would set things straight. The great Messiah would come. Isaiah was full of it, full of it. You read Isaiah, it's a magnificent book. You can read it 
you know, in a few hours. But you never find a better use for a few hours than just reading through Isaiah. It's it's an epic description of the the coming in, the breaking in of God's righteous king and righteous kingdom. And it's full of examples of people who are suffering injustice, being set free, being delivered from captivity, like John in prison. I thought this was on the top of your list, O Christ, O Messiah. I thought this would be what you came to do. That's the script, right? That's what Isaiah said. And Jesus tells the messengers from John, he says, go back and tell John what you see. And Jesus quotes, you notice the list of things that he tells John to, uh, John's disciples to report back. He says, listen, the blind are receiving their sight, the lame are walking, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf are hearing, the dead are raised, the poor have good news, preach to them. Six things. Wow, what a list as well. All of them, by the way, taken from Isaiah. All of them taken from very rich passages describing the workings of the coming Messiah. And missing out the piece that would be most relevant to John. Because if he was really quoting Isaiah fully, he would include the piece about and liberty to the captives. And, and the, the, the unjust rulers being brought down from their thrones. So Herod's on the throne, John's in a dungeon. And Jesus doesn't seem to be fixing that. He's fixing blind eyes, he's fixing lame legs, he's even fixing dead bodies. Not fixing prison situations, not fixing injustice. Why? Why? Why aren't you setting everything straight? Why is my situation not being catered for? You ever been there? See, that's, that's, that's going to happen, isn't it, in reality? You see, Jesus has come, but what he's done is he's begun this work of transformation and it's a work that happens in stages. John hasn't quite understood it, not completely. John's grasp of Jesus' mission is not as full as we might expect from him, I suppose. So he's, he's, he's not just intellectually confused, he's hurt because he's disappointed, deeply, deeply disappointed. His expectations haven't been matched it doesn't make any sense. Why, why is my prayer not being answered when everybody else's prayers are being answered? Gloriously. You're not coming to my situation. You're not meeting my need. You're not changing my circumstances. Why? Why? And Jesus, when, when he came to be baptized, you may remember, we talked about this last year, John, who baptized him, in the River Jordan, was confused. He said, why, why do you want me to baptize you? You should be baptizing me. This is a baptism for cleansing. Jesus, you don't need baptizing because you don't need cleansing. You're not dirty like everybody else. All of us, we're filthy sinful, but you're not. Why would you go down into this filthy water? Jesus says, we must fulfill all righteousness. John didn't understand the nature of Jesus' mission. John didn't perhaps realize that Jesus hadn't come simply to set rulers down from thrones and raise prisoners up from dungeons. He hadn't set, come only to set the things straight in terms of 
the temporary injustices of this world, though those things are to be dealt with in the end, for sure, but he'd come first to deal with the problem that's inward, to deal with the problem that afflicts us all. He'd come to deal with the deepest problem, the sin that's in the heart. And the way he was to deal with it, John perhaps also didn't understand, Jesus himself was to go down into it. By going down into the waters of baptism at the River Jordan, Jesus, Jesus was saying, I am going to fully immerse myself in the slime. I'm going to fully immerse myself in the, in the stench, in the sickness, in the horror, in the ugliness that's at the heart of humanity that's broken away from God. I'm going to go there. I'm going to go to the gutter. I'm going to embrace the guilt and the shame myself. I'm going to come right down into the worst of your condition so that I can lift you up out of it and raise you alongside me with my Father in heaven. Jesus has come to do nothing less than that, to deal with the deepest, sometimes the most hidden problems that we have and, and to deal with them fully, truly. And to do that means to do something perplexing. Instead of to go to deal with our temporary enemies, our Herods and our Romans and various other imprisoners, the, 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 the unjust rulers of our age, instead of first going to those, he first goes to the cross. He first goes to suffer. He first goes to take on our abandonment. He first goes to do actually what John's been doing. He goes to languish in prison. He goes to be put down by the powers. He doesn't come to obliterate them. He comes to, to receive the worst that they have, to receive it all in himself, to become the, the greatest victim of injustice there's ever been. That's what God did in his son. John's grasp of that is perhaps not as full. And so he, he's perplexing. He, Why, what are you doing? What are you doing? I don't understand this kingdom that you're bringing about. I just don't understand the nature of it. I don't understand why it's taking so long. One of the reasons the Bible says that it's taking so long is that God is patient. He's giving time for us to repent. He's giving an opportunity for all of us to turn to him and ask him for forgiveness. Have you done that? I hope you've done that. He's giving time for us to do that. He's giving the opportunity. He's been giving it for hundreds of years, in fact. And until that final point comes where his patience is over, there will be versions of Herod. There will be those who languish in prisons. There will be injustice, not because we like it, not because God tolerates it, because God's, God's kind of like that. He's a kind of dark God. He's, he's kind of got an unjust side to him. We will one day discover how untrue that is. We'll one day see for ourselves how deeply just he is, how deeply he hates wickedness, hates injustice. But he's waiting. He's waiting patiently, patiently. Jesus is, is about this mission, this very long-term mission, which, which is, is kind of where he goes with a lot of this explanation that, that comes up in, 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 a, in the next section. But, but before we just move on, let me just apply this to, to you. Because each of us will have our own disappointments, right? Our own unmet expectations. 
Sometimes we don't actually realize how disappointed we are until the expectation that we've unconsciously carried around with us doesn't get met. Have you noticed that? You don't realize how much you've hung your hopes on something until the thing you hung your hopes on doesn't happen. You've just assumed it. You've assumed something. Perhaps you've allowed a sense of entitlement to grip you. And something that you've, you assumed would just be so satisfying and fulfilling, well, it's, it's not quite what you expected. And the shock and the horror of it, the, the, the dissatisfaction of it, surprises you. And you begin to see, or I hope you begin to see, one of the things that you should begin to see is how much you've put your hope in something. A classic example would be marriage. Where, where the idea that becoming a husband or a wife will be the thing that will bring ultimate satisfaction to my life. It's the thing that will make you know, properly. It's, it's the thing. It's the answer to my life. And then you begin to realize, no, I'm, I'm, I'm finding that it's not quite the case. However good a marriage is, it could be in all kinds. It could be a, a career situation. It could be a, a personal sense of just disappointment with life in general. People who hit the point of midlife and start to think, this, this isn't quite what I was hoping for. This isn't quite what I dreamed of and what I was ambitious about. It hasn't come about. It hasn't come my way. And, and I'm disappointed. I'm sure that this isn't right. And then I think we can import this easily into our relationship with God. I, I, I thought it would go this way and it hasn't. I, you, I thought you'd give me all these things and you haven't. Without perhaps putting a name on it, because it sounds so terrible, we've become angry with God. We've become angry with him, bitter towards him. I wonder if there are many of us who feel like that, really. We don't want to say it, it's a horrible thing to open up on, but there's something that's just gone deep. I, I, I don't think I'm satisfied with him. I'm angry with him. We're offended by him. That's the word Jesus uses. Offended by him. We need to deal with that, surely. We need to deal with that. We need to come to terms with that. We mustn't, mustn't pretend it's not so. We need to do what John did and bring it. Bring it to him. Ask the question. Press it. What's going on? Jesus gives him a sort of an answer, in a sense. His answer is, it's, it's, a, it's, it's kind of cryptic because he says, listen, all these things Isaiah prophesied, do you see? These things are happening. They are happening, John. They are. The peace that you want to happen, it's part of the same story. It will happen. It will happen. Trust me. Trust me in this in-between time. Trust me in the in-between. And that goes on in this, this second section of this, this passage. Jesus has a lot to say about John, and it's all very, 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 very honoring. Very encouraging, very affirming. He's deeply impressed with John. He loves John. Even when John's messengers are gone, he's not saying it to, for PR. He's not saying it to keep them sweet. He's saying it because he wants us to listen. 
This isn't for John's sake. Now it's for your sake and my sake. He wants us to know how heaven sees John. He wants us to to see God's perspective on perplexing times when servants of God spend time in prison. And whatever prison you might be in, whether it's a literal one, which it can't be because you're in church, or or a metaphorical one where you feel you're waiting on God, you're, you're, you're struggling with circumstances that don't seem to end and you're longing to be sprung out of the dungeon. And you're thinking, has I been forgotten? Have I, have, I just, have I just been forgotten? Am I just not on his mind anymore? He's preoccupied with things that are far more interesting to him. And Jesus honours John in that very situation. He calls him, in fact, the, the greatest uh, born among men, the greatest born of women. He honours him that much. It's, it's phenomenal commendation he's giving to him. It's important. I mean, he's going to say, but in my kingdom, the, the least is greater than John, which is another point of teaching which we've barely got time to touch on. But it talk, it's talking about Jesus saying, I've come to bring in the kingdom that John was preparing us for. What I've come to bring is the fulfillment of that which was before. So it's a bit like if John had the best MySpace page ever. And you think, oh, isn't that great? Have the great, but, but, but in the age of Facebook, MySpace is. I don't know if some of you don't remember what I'm talking about. Um, fair enough. But but uh, you know the best the best this you know the best he's got the best horse and carriage ever. Um, well, yeah, it's kind of irrelevant now. We have these car things. Um, it's it's he's saying look, I I commend John for that. He was the up until now until this great change that I've brought about in my my kingdom announcement in, my, in what I'm going to accomplish through my death and resurrection I'm starting something which means the least amongst this new community will be greater than John but don't miss the commendation do not miss this Jesus wants to honour him as the greatest the greatest yeah this guy languishing in a prison forgotten not forgotten where it counts this is so important right this is so important for you and me. Because the, the sense of being forgotten is a horrible, horrible thing to go through. The sense of being marginalized, just, just sort of put to one side by society, maybe by family, by friends, by people you would love to be honored by, the people you most admire. Often they're the ones you dream of them admiring you, right? The people you look up to. You know which people you really look up to when you consider whose compliments mean the most to you. Who would you most like to have sing your praises? Oh, wouldn't it be so good if he or she noticed me and honoured me? And to go through life feeling like no one ever notices. No one really knows. No one understands me. No one's honouring me. I'm just, I'm, I'm in the lowest position, the lowest of the low. <laughs> Jesus is eager to point out the truth of the situation. One day, these things will become plain to all. One day, as, as Paul says in Romans 8, the sons of God will be revealed. What he means by that is we'll see for sure who was valued and honoured by God as opposed to who was valued and honoured by this shallow passing age. We'll see things properly. Right now, the people that get lauded and honoured and noticed... 
Who knows if God even cares? Who knows if God even notices? Who knows, knows what heaven thinks about our value system, our evaluation? It, it could be, and it seems to be, completely out of whack. And the, the, the follower of Jesus, like John, the preparer of Jesus, has to learn to walk this road of accepting that in this passing age, we might be, at least metaphorically, in the dungeon. We might have to learn that place. We might have to learn to trust that I'm honoured in heaven. That I'm in heaven, <laughs> I'm lifted up, I'm honoured, truly honoured. Another man who spent a lot of time in prisons and had his head chopped off as well, as far as we know, was Paul the Apostle. And he puts it like this. And for me, one of the richest passages of the whole Bible in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. As servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, Hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, punished yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. That's the Christian life. We follow Jesus. And if we really follow him, it will feel like that a lot. A lot. And it will be a, a, an opportunity for us to take offense. Very often. Very often. That will be the, the most pressing option. <laughs> Hit the offense button. I'm offended. I'm offended. Paul's learned something. He's learned, no, no, this passing age doesn't count. It doesn't count. I often use the illustration of, of when we were kids in the school playground and we used to play Star Wars. And depending on your pecking order in the group of mates, you were either Han Solo or Luke Skywalker. If you were really cool, you were Luke Skywalker. If you were second best, you were Han Solo. The most weird kid in the group was Chewbacca. Or the kid R2-D2 or C-3PO and, and it was always a test of character for that kid. Do I, do, I, do, I love, do I want to hang out with you? Am I that much of a schmuck? That, that I, it, it means so much to me to hang out with this bunch of guys that I'm prepared to be C-3PO. It's like that's the tussle. Because most kids would be, they'd just be too proud. If you're going to make me C-3PO, I'm going to play, play with the girls because I'm not. You're not making me that. That was the way boys tend to think. And eventually, you know, we'd managed to spread out the roles. And, that was, and it meant a lot, you know, being in the pecking order. The right. But I noticed that if we were, you know, when we were naughty and we got hauled into the headmistress office, 
She did not say to us, now I need to find out what happened here. Which one of you, who's important? Which one of you is Luke Skywalker? Because <clears throat> then I'll know who to talk to, because I need to talk to the important person here. She didn't think about, she's, for her, we were all just naughty boys. It was all relativized. We were before the judge, and all of our sense of importance was seen for what it was, boys' games, childish playtime games. Friends, this right now is playtime. It doesn't count. It doesn't count who's in a dungeon and who's on a throne. Not right now, it doesn't. Ultimately, it doesn't. What counts is how he sees it. And I've got to learn that. I've got to be content in that. I've got to learn that or I'll live by a fence. You see? And this last section where Jesus, just, just touched on this before we finish. We've got, it, we've got to it, the third section. Jesus talks about us effectively. He's talking about Israel, but it's extended to all humanity. He's saying, what are you like, you people? What are you like? He says, you're like the kids. Kids, again, you're talking about kids. He says, you're like kids who... When I, I want to start a funeral song, you, you're the ones who say, no, no, we want to dance. And if I, if I start a, 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 you know, a, a jig on a flute, it's no, no, it's time for funerals. You're just contrarian. You just don't, you don't want to receive what God has for you. There's always, there's always some reason why it's not good enough for you. It's not right. So when, when John the Baptist comes, living in the desert, eating beehives, you say, oh, he's a crazy man, a crazy, crazy man. We need, we need a spiritual leader who's a bit more with it, who, who goes to parties and hangs out with ordinary people and eats and drinks and you know, has fun. And Jesus comes along just like that, eats, drinks, has fun, goes to parties. <gasps> Outrageous. You wouldn't be, that can't, he can't be spiritual. We need, a, we need an ascetic who lives like a monk in the desert. Why? why, why? What, see, what is it with you? I get the sense, Jesus is saying, that you're just playing around. You're just, you're just like kids pushing your toys out the pram. You're, just, you're, not, you're like kids who won't eat their food. It's, it's childish, the worst kind of childish. There's childlike and there's childish. And you're just, you're just you're offended. You don't like the offense and so you miss God. You miss God. When God shows up, you miss him. You're distracted. You're too offended. Wow, is that a challenge for me and you? Friends, seriously, you can miss what God wants to do in your life, in your generation. We can miss what God wants to do in our city because we're offended. Because for petty offenses, oh, I don't like that music. No, I don't, I don't like that. Or deep offenses, why am I in prison? Why hasn't God met me? Why? Isn't, why? I've longed for a relationship. I've longed for a marriage. And God hasn't answered that prayer. I've longed for a healing to this condition. He hasn't come to me. Friends, I understand. That's not petty. That's not childish. That's painful. How do you avoid taking offense? Blessed is the one who is not offended by me, Jesus says. How? How can I overcome the temptation to deeply take offense and look for someone else. You can't be the Messiah. It can't be Jesus. Jesus isn't the answer. Let's wait for someone else. How, how do we avoid that? That's a real temptation, right? When Jesus doesn't come through, we look for another Jesus, don't we? How do we avoid this? How do we not take offense? Friends, there's no better way than to look how Jesus himself is the one who truly 
was abandoned for you. There's no better way. That's how to take, how to take the offence without taking offence, if you know what I mean. That's how to, that's how to overcome the offence, the pain. That's how to be able to say like Paul, I'm unknown and yet I am known. <laughs> I, I don't have anything, but I possess everything. How can you be so joyful, Paul? I, I'm sorrowful, yet always truly rejoicing. Not happy smile, not church crinkly smile, not pretense smile, genuinely rejoicing. That's Paul, happiest person. You read his letters, genuinely a happy man. <laughs> really happy. How? Because he understood that Jesus, if he's been to a dungeon, Jesus has been to a worse one. If he's, if he's carried a cross, Jesus has carried a heavier one. If he's been afflicted and beaten, Jesus got beaten more savagely. <laughs> if he's been forgotten, Jesus really was forgotten on the cross, abandoned. Why have you forsaken me? Jesus knew what it was like to be John the Baptist in prison. Why have you abandoned me? Jesus has been there. You feel that sometimes? Jesus has been there. And he'd been there for you. For you. So honestly, friend, I, I, I get discouraged. I get heavy hearted sometimes. But I, I find I, I don't, I kind of, I know too much to stay there. <laughs> I do. I, in the end, I know too much. Why? Because I know this one who's been lower than me, much lower than I could even imagine. And he did it for me. And he says, you may be unknown to Harry, you may be unknown, you may be languishing. You are known to me. You are known to me. I'm proud of you. I, my, heaven is full of who you are. We've got your pictures all over the walls. We're proud of you. In this season, in this difficult stage where it's confusing, this strange season in history when, when, when the kingdom of God suffers violence, where we, we seem to be languishing, we seem to, we seem to be marginalised by society and the church struggles on and the world ignores us and we think, is there any future for Christianity? And we feel our, our, our isolation and sometimes fear it and struggle with it. To just hold on to these words, he's greater. John is great in my estimation. I'm, I, I'm for him. I love him. I'm committed to him. Friends, we've got to learn to live in that atmosphere. Do you see? We've got to learn to believe it, to hold fast, to hold fast to him. Let's, let's pray right now, shall we? As the musicians join us. When we come to take bread and wine in just a moment, what we're doing is, is so important. What we're doing is we're saying, this is my real feast you know, we, 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 take, we take bread and wine, little bits of bread and little tiny cups and, you know, in, a, in a church meeting, just for a few hundred of us here. But every time we do it, we proclaim his coming. We are, we are ambassadors, we're outposts, we're preparing the way for a meal that's to come, a banquet that's to come. Do you hear me? Whether it will be huge goblets and great loaves. We, we say, Jesus, we, we receive right now what's to come. We take these tokens, if you like. 
we receive them into our bodies and we know, Jesus, you, you, you are, you are going to set everything straight. And we belong to that banquet that's to come. We believe it. We believe it. And if you don't believe it, or at least you, you don't know Jesus yet, listen, turn to him today. Only he can forgive you for your past. Only he can. Only he can set it straight and cleanse you. Only he can do that. Only Jesus can give you that hope for the future, that confidence that you'll be forever with him. And you need him today. So why don't you turn to him in your heart and believe in him. Say, Jesus, forgive me for my sin. I put my life in your hands. And if you want to know how to do that, then please talk to me or go to the prayer team that will be on my left and your right over towards the, the side. Please go and talk to them. Please pray with them and ask them to explain it. Or to the person that brought you today. Or you could just even go on the weareemmanuel.com. You go on the website and look at how to respond to the gospel. Let's all stand together. Father, we, we just thank you for Jesus. We confess that we need him so much. We thank you for, for this one who was abandoned for us. We thank you that because of him, we, we are not forgotten, not cut off. But we're embraced, we're loved, we're cherished by the Lord. Lord, teach us to live in the good of this, God. Teach us, teach us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.